So they said today we are. Um, I'm going to wrap up again just my messages on the on the Holy Land, and and again tonight we'll be uh, wrapping up and kind of looking over the entire trip. Um, next week we're going to be starting a new message series, and uh, we're going to take we're going to be studying um, from Ephesians chapter six, the full armor of God, and we're going to be looking at again just the spiritual warfare that's described there, and kind of what's our role as followers of Jesus, and and how does how are we equipped as believers to to, to battle you know um, everything and to stand firm in the truth that we have. And so they said next week we're going to be kicking off a new series on the armor of God. Um, so again, be looking forward to that. Today, um, like I said, wrapping up just kind of this uh, report on the um, my Holy Land trip, and again last week I shared it as highlights from the trip and things that really stood out for me. Like I said, tonight I'm going to be sharing much more, uh, but I want to start today just right where we were yesterday with just this concept of a pilgrimage, and and just as I shared, that was one of the things that was kind of shared with us on the tour was was as we were not tourists in the Holy Land, we were pilgrims. Right, and and the, there's there's a sharp difference in that, not necessarily in in what we did. I mean, we went and saw all kinds of sites, and we definitely, you know, were on a tour. But but we were there for a very different purpose. And I'll tell you that I was there for a very different purpose. Right, and again, those uh, in the area and the tour guides and the people in the sites and those kind of things, they understand that they are in in the holy land. They are in a holy ground. And, and the people come there for lots of different reasons, but, but many, many people are there on a pilgrimage. And again, this is the, this is the Wikipedia definition of a pilgrimage. It's a journey often into an unknown or foreign place where a person goes in search of new or expanded meaning about their self, others, nature, or a higher good through the experience. And it can, it can lead to a personal transformation after which the pilgrim returns to their daily life. Again, they heard this term many times over there in the Holy Land and on the tour, and just this perspective that we were there not just to see these holy sites, but to experience a transformation, right, that we would find through just God's presence in these places. And, and again, with the idea and, and uh, you know, the, the understanding that we were walking where Jesus walked, Right, that we were in these places where these stories happened. That, that again, not just where Jesus was, but even Old Testament stories and you know Moses and Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah and just and the wanderings and, and the Promised Land and, and all of these things converge in this area of the world. And and I can definitely tell you again, for me, I went there right um, seeking personal transformation to experience God in a way, to experience Scripture in a way that I had not experienced before. And, and again, many have asked, like, was the trip good? And I'll tell you, it was exceptional. And again, it was an experience that I will cherish for the rest of my life and, and thinking about all of those different experiences. But as we think about this, this concept of a pilgrimage, right, we need to understand that, that every believer should be on a pilgrimage, right? We should be seeking personal transformation through Jesus Christ. Right? We should be inviting the Holy Spirit into our minds and into our hearts and say, continue that transformation process within my heart as I grow in my faith. Right? When we receive Christ as our Savior, we join the journey of faith, and that starts a new process. And it should start, again, the process of discipleship, of growing in our faith, and of being transformed into a new person. Right? And again, Paul describes this in 
Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and he says, right, that, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we are on this faith journey. And again, to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today, which means I am being transformed. Again, last Sunday and today, as I share from the trip, I want to focus on a few places and a few experiences that are directly connected to my vision for Oregon Trail and for our next season of growth as a church. And because we, again, we've come a long ways in these years that I've been here at Oregon Trail, and, and we've, we've taken new ground, and we've seen incredible growth, and, and seeing God work in many ways, and yet, I feel like now we are ready for phase two within our church, right? That, that God is moving us into a new season, right? And I want to continue to move forward, and so as I shared last week, um, I, I shared the first main area of focus of our vision, Okay, of our vision of joining the journey, and the first main area of focus is our own faith journey, your faith journey. Right? What are you doing in your faith? Are you being transformed? Are you growing every day? Are, and are you taking advantage of God's spirit and of his wisdom and, and again, moving closer towards Christ? Right? We looked at at Luke chapter 8, and, and where Jesus teaches about the condition of our hearts, about the light of our life, and, and how that light comes from God, and the more that we transform, the brighter that light gets. And how we are, Jesus challenged us to take new ground, and to get out of our comfort zone in our faith, and in our, in our faith journey. Just as he did to the disciples, he challenged them, and says, we're going to go to these uncharted places, right? Go and move forward in your faith, and will we rise to that same challenge? And now today, I want to look at the other main area of focus of our vision. Again, the first area is our own faith and moving forward in our own faith journey, and the second main area of focus of the vision is us reaching out and sharing about Jesus to those that don't know him. It is about inviting others to join the journey of faith. Again, up to this point as a church, I feel like we have done okay on these things. But it is time for us to take it to the next level. It needs to get incredibly real for us in our lives and for us as a church of are we actively reaching out into our communities, into our surrounding areas, into our neighborhoods, into our families, uh, to our coworkers? Are, are we truly shining that light of Jesus? Right? And are we inviting others into this relationship with Jesus? Again, as we look at our text this morning, okay, uh, we are going to be um, in Matthew chapter 16. And in, in, this, in this text, Jesus takes the disciples, basically he takes them on a field trip. Okay, he takes them north out of the region of the Galilee into a more pagan land. Again, this is, this is towards the later part of Jesus' time with the disciples. And he starts to prepare them for the real job that lies ahead of them. Because he has a big plan to spread the gospel. Right? And they are the center of that plan. And, and he starts... To, to open their eyes to the job that they are going to have after his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. And he gives them a glimpse. He takes them on a field trip north up into this region okay, that, again, was, not a, was typically um, a, a pagan place. Okay, this is when Jesus starts showing the disciples that they need to rise to a new level. 
right, and he starts to prepare them. Because the truth is that everything is about to get very real in their lives. Right? All of this teaching and, and things is about to, to happen in front of them. I mean, as Jesus talks to them about how he's going to have to die and, and about resurrection and about the Holy Spirit and, and again, the, 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 the spread of the gospel and, and exactly what the Messiah came to do. And he starts to really open their eyes to that and says, guys, this is all about to, to get very real. Again, he takes them up to a, a town called Caesarea Philippi. Hey, now, I, I want to kind of lay the foundation before we open up to the story and read it about this area. Like I said, Jesus takes them um, on a field trip up to this place. This is a place that, that we visited as a part um, of, of our trip. Hey, so he takes them up to the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is in the northern part of Israel, a part now uh, known as the Golan Heights. As he, he moves up into this area, uh, Caesarea Philippi was an ancient pagan city at the base of Mount Hermon. Hey, now, Mount Hermon um, is, is the tallest peak in Israel. Hey, and uh, this, is a, this is a picture of Mount Hermon that I took while we were there. Uh, we went up into this area, and you see, yes, that is snow on the top of Mount Hermon. Hey, now, um, it is the winter season in Israel, just like it is here, but, and again, that, this, it snows there. There, literally, there is literally a ski area in Israel on Mount Hermon. Hey, and hey, people go there. I mean, you can Google it. You can go up there and ski. You can ski in Israel. Hey, and so there is snow. Now, uh, part of Israel, one of the things that I realized when we were there is that Israel's terrain is very varied. It varies widely, and, and there are very extreme changes in the landscape. Yeah, and in fact, the, again, our, our tour guides told us like, that you can experience all four seasons in one day in Israel. Now, again, we understand that in Idaho because we, we could do the same in Idaho, can't we? Right? And again, we understand that, but, but you see, the, the, the terrain um, changes extremely in a pretty small area. Okay, so this is, again, Mount Hermon. Um, this is kind of north, a very, very, the northern part of the country. Um, we, we see up here, and, and again, the, the, the snow from Mount Hermon is what primarily feeds all the springs that, that come together to form the Jordan River that goes into the Sea of Galilee, that goes down through, again, the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. Like, this is the main source of water for the entire area is, is the snow-capped peak of Mount Hermon. Hey, and, and I said Mount Hermon is in this area known as the Golan Heights, okay, which is right on the northern border of, and where Israel borders Syria and Lebanon. Okay, and this is, this is one of the moments on the trip for me um, of, of seeing these headlines that I've seen for years and years, um, how real those headlines really are. Right? Being in this, again, this area of Golan Heights, it's been a, an area of contention for a long time. As you see, um, in fact, when we were driving around up there uh, through the area, we were driving, and then our tour guide says, hey, look over to the left and see this compound. It's kind of hard to see in that, but that is the UN compound in the Golan Heights. Okay, and again, there's, there's people stationed there, and there's go all the way through this, and again, you see all of these um, headlines and how real they were, and these people live in the middle of these headlines that we just read and kind of move on with our lives, right? They become very real. Again, as, even as we realize that, just in this area, there's several, a few different sites up in this area. We were up um, at a site called Tel Dan, and I'll talk about more about it tonight, but I show you this picture because there, there are these, these, um, these ditches, as you see them, 
Okay, and to tell you, we're up on top of a mountain here and looking, and literally from here, you can see Syria. You can see Lebanon as we're standing on the top of this hill in Israel. And again, they say, um, don't go, again, our tour guides are like, stay right here, because right down in there, there are many landmines that nobody knows where they are. Okay, and these are trenches, these are Syrian trenches that are left from the wars. And, and again, as we're walking around and seeing, and there's literally there's old broken down tanks on the side of the road, and, and there's, there's old barracks, right, that, because we were going through an area that used to be Syria, right, that is now Israel. And, and again, this was one of those moments in this area of the country that you realize where I really am, right? And, and as, we, as we realize, again, just kind of the weight of that, then then realize that we see this is where Jesus brought the disciples in Matthew 16. He takes them up into this area, into this town, right, called Caesarea Philippi. And as I said, it's, a, it's an ancient pagan city that sits at the base of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights. And when we think about this city where Jesus takes them on this field trip, um, this is a city just like most cities um, in this area is built around a water source. Right, because water is very important, right? As we know, it's, it's a source of life. We need water to live. And, and especially in this area and the, the extremes and, and stark, uh, you know, landscape is that water is very, very important. And Caesarea Philippi was a, another town that was built around a spring. In fact, um, this is right there um, in Caesarea Philippi. We were there. There's a sign, the Hermon, Hermon River Springs kind of come up there in this whole area. Now, throughout the area, there are these springs that just kind of pop up in these different places. And, and you see, again, why. This was the land of milk and honey. I mean, this is where God sent the Israelites into. And the reason it was so prosperous is because of there were so many water sources, right, that came from different, these, these springs. Okay, Caesarea Philippi, again, is, is built around this spring. Again, notice the sign says that it is springs. It's not just one. There's, there's several different places where the water appears out of these springs. And, and this, um, these springs are the very start of the headwaters of the Jordan River. Okay, and when we, when we see this, again, there's just water kind of just just appears suddenly coming out of these bushes and out of these places. A lot of times springs is like you can literally see the water kind of bubbling out of a spring. And, and, but here, just like many places in Israel, the water just kind of appears. There's no obvious origin. And, and as, we, as we look at these and, and think about, again, how these towns were built near a water source, right, that we realize how much that the Hermon river springs are the source of life. Hey, that there is, um, again, there, we all have this, this basic physical need for water. Right? And, and as we sit here in the city, and you can see, again, this source of life, this water. And in many times, all throughout the Bible, water represents life. It's a very common illustration in Scripture of the move of the Holy Spirit. Right, we see water used in many different religious rituals and, and things that we practice. Right? Things like baptism. Right? Uh, again, uh, we see uh, the move of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and that oftentimes is represented by 
water. And, and again, as we see this, this water, even these springs here in Caesarea Philippi, um, its source is a mystery. It's not obvious. And, and yet, the, again, the source of, of God's presence is not always can be pinpointed or, or obvious, right? God just shows up. And just like, just like a God who is this, our source of life, he's not easily explained, but yet, it's very real and it's very needed. We, we need God's presence in our life. Again, this is, this is one part of the city, the, the, the source of life, the, the springs that, that come up here. Now, there is another very prominent part of the city in Caesarea Philippi. It is, uh, like I said, it was a pagan town. And it was, it was centered on the Greek god of Pan. Hey, now this, again, just a small sign where I want to show, show you that, again, the city, yes, there's, a, there's these springs and, and this, this source of life in the town, but, but the, the main focus of this pagan town was, was pagan and Greek god worship. Hey, and, and here, again, this town was known uh, for this huge temple towards this, this Greek god Pan. Now, the Greek god Pan was, was, is a, a goat-footed Greek god. So this is like half goat, half man, god figure, um, who was associated with nature and fertility and carnal excess. Right now, when you, we see here in Caesarea Philippi, you show up as, again, this, we see we go up to where this temple of Pan was, and, and it was centered on this cave in this town. Okay, now, this cave, again, was, um, was known as the Cave of Pan. Okay, and it was commonly believed to be the doorway to the underworld, okay, where the fertility gods would live in the winter, and then they would return to earth each spring um, as waters would bubble out of the cave in the spring and coming out of the aquifer is another area of all these springs in the area. As the water would gush out of the cave, they, again, they believed that this was the fertility gods coming back out to, to, to help them procreate. And so this, again, this, this cave was believed by those that lived in the city, that those these pagan worshipers, as well as everybody in the area, it had a a a local um, reputation, right or label. Okay, the label of this cave, the cave of Pan, uh, was known as the gates of hell. Okay, and we see this that. That again, this is where Jesus takes the disciples to, to make his point, right? Again, this city, Caesarea Philippi, was dominated by lots of immoral activities and pagan worship, including human sacrifice. Okay, it is the, the, the tone of this town was very sexual. It was very perverse. And it was a place that the, that the disciples would have been extremely uncomfortable and would have viewed as pure evil. Okay, and as we see, again, the, the stage that is set, hey, I, I want to show you again, this is a picture, just kind of step back a little further in this area of Caesarea Philippi, and you see, again, these springs come out, and they've got the water running down, and then in the background is the cave of Pan. Okay, and as you look at this bigger picture of Caesarea Philippi, 
right, and realize that this is where Jesus brings the disciples to teach them a lesson. And, and I want to keep this in your mind and, and kind of have this, this picture in your mind as we open God's word to Matthew chapter 16. Hey, Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read verses 13 through 20. So if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have your own Bible, don't have it with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. You can grab one of those. You see on the outline is the page number where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, so this, this, is, this is where Jesus takes the disciples okay, to, to teach them this lesson. Matthew 16, picking up at verse 13. When he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now again, this is a pretty familiar passage. I mean, if we, if we, we know that, again, this is where, where Jesus anoints Peter as the, the leader of the future church. Right? This is where Jesus, I mean, transitions, right, from calling him Simon to calling him Peter. This is, this is a, a pretty, again, familiar passage when it comes to the life of the church and, and the mission that God has sent us on. And yet, again, very, very real. And, and yet, when we realize, right, this opening line that Jesus takes them into Caesarea Philippi to, to teach them this, this lesson, and all of a sudden, the story changes a little bit. Jesus takes them on this field trip into this incredibly uncomfortable place. Jesus literally walks them into the red light district of their time. And says, look what's around you. And as they're standing in this environment, Jesus presents them with this most foundational question. Again, as we, as we think about this scene and think about how uncomfortable the disciples would have been in this moment, right, we realize that Caesarea Philippi is a vivid representation of good versus evil and the choice that every person must make. Which will I follow? They are standing at the headwaters of the Jordan, right? In the shadow of the gates of hell. Right? And Jesus is saying, look at the choice that is sitting in front of you. Right? You can follow the evil of this world, or you can dive into the source of life. And this is the choice that is sitting in front of them as Jesus then asks them this question. Right? And he asked them this, this most foundational question right? that every person on this earth must answer. 
And that is in verse 15, when Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Right? And we, we understand, right? The disciples explain it, right? That, hey, there's, there's lots of opinions about you, Jesus. No one's really sure exactly what to do with you. You make these crazy claims. You do these, these miracles. You, you take us into places like this. I don't, nobody's really sure. How true is that still even today in our world? But we're not really sure maybe what to do with Jesus. And yet, we all have to answer this question. Because the truth is that everything hinges on how we define Jesus. Everything hinges on how we define Jesus. But notice as the disciples kind of, kind of, you know, go around and say, well, some people say this, some people say that, some people don't even know Jesus. I mean, you really confuse people. Right? And then Jesus is like, but who do you say I am? Like, it's, it's so important that you answer and define that in your heart and in your mind and in your life. Because everything hinges on how you define Jesus. Right? And then Peter steps up. Right? And, and he answers Jesus in verse 16, right? As he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Right? And then notice as as Peter declares the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of why he came, the truth of what he's there to accomplish as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God, then the, the tone of the lesson changes. Right? And Jesus says, hey, you've passed the first test, right? That's, you, you have to define who I am. As you see that, again, everything starts with the declaration of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And the same is true today. Everything starts with how you define Jesus in your mind and in your heart and in your life. Right? And as, as Simon gives Again, that, that declaration, notice Jesus comes out and he says, Peter, there, there is more behind that answer than you even realize. Right? The Holy Spirit is showing you that. You, you've been shown that again from divine powers. That's not anything that you got to on your own. It's that big. Right? And, and again, we all have to answer that question. Again, and Jesus didn't live any, leave any doubt. He didn't, he didn't leave that doubt for the disciples, and he didn't leave it for us, right? Jesus clearly defines in the Gospel of John who he is and why he came. And what I believe to be the most bold statement recorded in Scripture out of Jesus' mouth, and that is in John 14, 6, when Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Right, and, and if that is true, and I believe that that's true, right, but if that is true, then everything hinges on Jesus and how we define him. Is he the way and the truth and the life? Is he the way to the Father? 
or is he not? Because the truth is, like I said, that's the most bold statement Jesus ever makes in Scripture. Because either Jesus is 100% accurate in that claim, or else he is a raging lunatic. There is no room in between those two possibilities. He is either the way, the truth, and the life, or he is not. And everything hinges on how we define Jesus. Right, and then as, as, we, as they make this declaration, he says, okay, you've, you, you've made this declaration, now we can move on. And then Jesus moves on right, in the next verses. In verses 18 through 19, right? And he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Again, Jesus expands here on on now what is their job. Now they've defined Jesus. And he says, now we can get to work. And here's your job. Right? This is what's going to be on your shoulders right, to move forward. And, and he teaches us some very important things about the church that they needed to know that we need to know. Okay, first off is, is we realize that the church is God's people. Again, he tells Peter, right, upon, you are the rock, upon that rock, I will build my church. Okay, the church isn't a building. The church is not a Sunday morning activity. Right, the church is people. People that are united by Christ. By how they answer that first question. That's the church. Right, that's the church that Jesus is describing here. It's, it's God's people. It's not Oregon Trail. Right? It's, not, it's not Canyon Springs. It's not Calvary Chapel. Right? It's, it's God's people. We all make up God's church based on how we define Jesus. Right? That we, we are his church and we are united by Christ. Right? The next thing that Jesus comes out, he says, I will establish my church, right? I'm going to build it, meaning I need more and more people to, to know who I am and why I came and what I bring into their life starting with salvation and then their ongoing growth and transformation, right? And then he tells, tells them and tells us, right, that evil will not prevail over God's people. Right, as Jesus, he's, he's standing in Caesarea Philippi. They're, they're looking, literally looking at the gates of hell. And Jesus says, that will not prevail over my church. Look at everything you're surrounded by as they're standing in the red light district of their world. And Jesus says, all of this will not conquer you. It's not going to happen. Because God is more powerful than all of this. Right? Evil will not prevail over God's people. We will not be conquered. Now, again, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a fight. But we, as the church, are on the front lines of what God is doing in this world. Again, and Jesus literally took them into the the battlefield of good and evil and says, my church will not 
be conquered by all of this. And then he, he shows them and shows us, right, that the, that the gospel message is the key to heaven. Again, what is the gospel message? It's saying, are you going to choose evil or are you going to choose life? Right? And, and, and this vivid picture sitting in front of them. There's evil here in this town. There is life here in this town that, that flows out into the Jordan. Right? This is the same water that Jesus was baptized in. Right? This is the same water that all of these miracles happen in. That all, all of this stuff that they've experienced with Jesus. Right? That's where it starts. It's the source of life and the source of evil is sitting right in front of them. And he says the gospel message is the key to heaven. Right? When you define Jesus, you accept him in your life. Right, he is the way, the truth, and life. Right, then as he tells Peter, then it gives you the keys to heaven. Right, and the, the gates of hell don't even matter because the keys to heaven are more powerful. Right, and that the gospel is the key. And that gives us the key to heaven. It gives us access to God. Right, that's exactly what Jesus said, right? I am the way to the Father. And then we see, um, then again, this, this, this description that Jesus gives Peter and the disciples at this time about this church. And he realized that, that he has a purpose for the church. That, that the church is supposed to change the world. Right? Jesus is, he's like, look at all this. This is what I came to die for. This is what I came to redeem. All of this is supposed to be changed. Because all of this, right, that they saw, so he's like, all it does is take people right down that pit. It's like, and I love everybody too much to let that happen in their life. So I came, and I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise again. And, and everything's going to hinge on how you define Jesus and will you accept him in your life. Right, and you're going to choose. Are you going to go the way of evil or are you going to go the way of life? And the church, the disciples, right, that they were building us as God's church, we are supposed to change the world. And that's exactly what, again, that Jesus gave the disciples his, his departing words from them, right? And several chapters later, I mean, after he's, he dies, after he, he rises again, after he, he appears to hundreds of people and, and teaches them his, his departing words to the disciples, right, in Matthew 28. There's 18 through 20. It's known as the Great Commission. Right? It's Jesus who's reiterating to them the lesson he taught them at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Are you saying, right, what is Jesus telling you? He said, I have conquered it. I am, I am the way. Right? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. It all hinges on how you define Jesus. Right? And once you accept him, right, then you move forward and, and you, you grow in your faith and you, you're baptized and you share and, and teach new disciples and grow yourself. Right? And, and that is the job description of the church. Just because you guys are my plan A to save the world the church will change the world. And notice that he leaves with an encouragement. He says, I am with you. 
to the end of the age. Again, does he tell us that we have to conquer evil? Absolutely not. That's not the job he gives us. That's not what he gave the disciples. That's not what he showed them at Caesarea Philippi. Right? He says, no, I will conquer evil. Jesus, God's power will conquer evil. Right? But then he says, but now you have that power because I'm with you. Right? The Holy Spirit lives in your heart as a believer. Right? And you take that power, that source of life, into everything that you do. If you're growing in your own faith, right, and you're serious about your own journey, and that light's getting brighter and brighter every day, and, and then we take that light and we share that light in the world that so desperately needs it. Right, Jesus took his disciples into Caesarea Philippi to shock them, to make them realize how serious this job is. The church is supposed to change the world. It's not going to be conquered by all of that. And guess what? The church is going to be you guys. And I need you to be serious about your own faith. Right? And then share it with everybody who needs it. And that's everybody. So again, as we think about that and see that challenge again, the first part, right, of our vision of joining the journey is that we take our own faith seriously. And then the second part, Second phase of that vision is that we are taking, as we shine our light brighter and brighter, then we're taking God's light and his love and his power into a world and sharing it with those that need it. So I just want to ask you today, what are you doing to help God change the world? What are you doing to help God change the world? Are you taking your own faith seriously? Are you shining God's light in this world? Are you talking with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers? Are you praying for people? Are you relying on God's power, not my own? Yeah, we have um, a big opportunity coming up in our valley, right, with the Boise Harvest coming up in the next couple months. Okay, we are committed as a follow-up church, which means that, that we're saying we will step up and we will help God change the world through this event. Hey, several weeks ago, you got one of these bookmarks. If you didn't get one, there's more available out there. And at the bottom of this is there's lists, blanks that you're, I hope you put some names on there and you're praying for these people right, as we get ready for this event. And, and again, there's going to be lots of different ways we can contribute to this. And, but again, it starts with us rising to the mission that God's given us and saying, yes, I will help God change the world. I'm going to take my own faith seriously. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to shine my light every chance I get. Which brings me then to my final thought this morning, and that's this. As a faith communi community dedicated to the ways of Jesus, we have a job to do and a mission to accomplish. How are you sharing Jesus with the world? How are you sharing Jesus with the world? Right, will we rise to the challenge that Jesus gave the disciples and, and to every believer? And again, I don't know what ne the next step of your journey is. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never accepted him as your Savior. Maybe you've never truly defined him as the Messiah in your life. Hey, if you've never done that, then that's where the journey starts. Right? You can pray and accept him today. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, right, what is the next step in your journey? 
continue to move forward in your own faith? And again, how are you helping to share and shine this light in this dark world? Because the truth is everything that was happening in Caesarea Philippi is happening in our world today, in our culture today as well. And we need Jesus as much today as they did then. Maybe more. So what are you doing to help share Jesus with the world? Taking your own faith seriously and sharing Christ with anybody who will listen. I hope you'll take the next step today. Lord God, that's my prayer today. I hope that we're overwhelmed by you, Lord. Overwhelmed by your presence, Lord. Overwhelmed by your power. God, overwhelmed by just who you are, God, and the the job you've given us to do as a follower of you. Lord, we praise you today that that you have saved us, God, that you you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, that that you lived us in this life and died on the cross and rose again so we can be saved, and we praise you for that today. God, we're overwhelmed by the power of what you did for us. Lord, how we're saved by your grace. And Lord, I pray that we will be so overwhelmed, Lord, that we can't help but to share who you are and to shine your light in everything that we do. Lord, help us as a church, God, to rise to the challenge that you've called us to. God, to truly see your kingdom expand and change because of your power through us. And God, not just Oregon Trail, but Lord, every church in our area, in our valley, in our world, God can help you change this world. Help us to do our part this week. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.